Welcome to the Good Good Spell. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Spell Podcast. Hey guys, um, I thought I would jump on here. Jump on here real quick. Talk about some doctrine. Three things. Three things to talk about that are really, really important. Crucial, in fact. If we don't get them right, we don't get... Well, we, quite frankly, we don't get church right. And when you're thinking about how how to get church right, you're really asking the question of how do we obey as Christians? So how do we how do we get church right? Well, Protestantism generally speaking has at least since the time of the first and second generation reformers, seen three marks which distinguish a church, a true church, from a false church. Some of you probably, most of you probably already know what those marks are. It initially started with two marks, I believe, with Calvin. Two marks were the right preaching of the word and the right administration of the sacraments or the ordinances for us Baptists. Then uh, another mark was observed, and that mark was the mark of church discipline. And really, you could you could you know all three of those are are obvious for the the proper function of a church and for the proper constitution of a church. And uh, you can see church discipline, I believe, in the right administration of the Lord's table. So sometimes, I don't don't think it's always um, necessary to state church discipline as a third mark. Because if you're rightly administering the Lord's table, you will not, uh, you will have to practice church discipline. Um, because there are those whom uh, to whom the, the, the supper should not be administered to within the church. They could even be members, and, uh, and, and they could be under church discipline, which is uh, restrictive in some capacity, but it's restrictive for the purposes of love. Like a, a father might be restrictive to his son, uh, or daughter when they disobey. He may take things away from them. You know, parents sometimes forbid the use of things as a way to show or teach their children a lesson. And the idea of church discipline is not to just shun people for needless reasons or just because we're mad at them. The purpose for church discipline is that the person under church discipline would, uh, and and you know, would, would hopefully come to repentance, come to realize that what they did was indeed uh, wrong in the sight of the Lord, and grievous, being sin, and would 
come to uh, repentance. Um, and uh, and that's really that's the function of church discipline. So church discipline at the very foundation of it is a pastoral item. Uh, you, you cannot exercise proper care of the saints, proper care of all saints in the congregation without caring for those who are living in sin. And one of the tools that God has given us to care for those who um, are, are, are living in sin is church discipline. Now, church discipline is, is controversial. Uh, there are churches, churches I know of personally, intimately, they they fail. It's not that they won't practice church discipline, but they, they fail at practicing church discipline because church discipline is just not seen as a priority, and after all, it will make people mad. But it's one of the marks of the church, so we'd have to ask ourselves, if we're not practicing church discipline, are we really a church. Sure, we might be a gathering of believers, but do we constitute as a local church that's obeying Christ in what he has instituted for his bride? And I think one of the most offensive passages um, in terms of church discipline is First Timothy one twenty, because we see something of what how, how Paul was handling disciplinary situations as an apostle, and to some extent, maybe not to an exact extent, but to some extent we are to imitate the apostolic life, just as we are to imitate the life of Christ. And so when we look at 1 Timothy one twenty, there's a precedent set, and there's some principles given. And it says this, it says, among these, and he's talking about, here, I'll, I'll go to the broader passage, I'll read uh, one uh, one eighteen to 20. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these, among those who have suffered shipwreck, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Well, in our in our present context, I think what would be said if a pastor or an elder said, I've handed so-and-so off to Satan, um, it, it would immediately be said, what a hateful thing to say. What a hateful thing to even think about. Indeed, what a hateful thing to do. And... Um, the fact of the matter is, it can't be hateful. I don't think it's the case that Paul hated these people. Um, and I, I know for a fact that it isn't. Because two of the principles we get out of this one passage is, number one, the idea of excommunication. And number two, uh, the hopes that excommunication will lead to repentance and learning growing in the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ, which oftentimes, if not every time, results in repentance and growing in repentance. 
So you'll notice that the principle of excommunication is present, obviously, when Paul takes uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander and says he delivers them or hands them over to Satan. It's putting them out of the church. Um, and then uh, you have the next phrase, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So it's not just handing them over to Satan so that they will be uh, you know, destroyed or or killed or tortured or anything like that. It's, there's no hatefulness behind it. The act of handing them over to Satan is a disciplinary action. And it's disciplinary because the, the purpose of discipline, the end of discipline, is to teach in hopes that the person being disciplined will come to a better understanding of what they did wrong and what they should do instead of what they did wrong. So so you see the very essence of discipline being being characterized in 1 Timothy 1:20. Excommunication is the most extreme and the reason I the reason I went for excommunication first, I mean we could go to all sorts of different passages which, which talk about uh, church discipline in a more modest uh, way. Um, but I, I, I think it's good to go to the extreme because we always, you know, and, and our culture tells us not to, not to um, you know, hate people. And by hate, they mean don't distance yourself. You know, tolerate everyone. Um, and we have to not only tolerate everyone, but we have to tolerate their lifestyle as well. And so this idea of telling something that uh, of telling someone that no you you can't be part of us so to speak while you're living this lifestyle unrepentantly um, is is controversial uh, and so what Paul's doing here is he's saying you cannot share in the benefits that Christ has given to his bride while remaining in unrepentant sin. And so he says, away with you, essentially. But he says, away with you, with the caveat that hopefully, by sending them away out into the world, by delivering them over, so to speak, they will be taught the error of their ways. We can think of uh, the prodigal son, Right in in the Gospel of Luke, where uh, the son the son practically hasn't made. I mean, he has a uh, living on um, a farm, I guess you could call it, um, under the headship of his father. He's got a brother, and um, he instead of working for his father obediently, serving his family. He decides to ask for a portion of his inheritance early and leaves home to go blow the inheritance. So the father obliges, gives him his early inheritance, and sends his son away. Uh, doesn't doesn't kick him out of the house, but he allows his son to leave. His son leaves and ends up far away from home, uh, essentially living with the hogs, the pigs. Um, he's eating what the pigs eat. 
that's his state of life. That's where he ends up after all of his debauchery. And it's this low point in his life which God uses to draw him to repentance. And so the prodigal son is then seen coming back home, realizing that he has nothing anymore, uh, and uh, realizing that he is at the lowest of the low. And so he's humbled. Um, God has providentially humbled him by means of his circumstances and is now drawing him back home. And so when he... Uh, starts home, he gets just within eyeshot of his father's household. His father sees him, and before his son can get to the property, his uh, father begins running towards him, which was not customary for um, for uh, an elderly person to do, not customary for the head of the household to do at the time. But the father runs to the son and embraces him. He puts his ring on his finger and gives him his robe. Um, and, uh, and so the son is brought back into a right relationship with the father because of the terrible circumstances that he found himself in before. And what happened was God used those terrible circumstances that the prodigal son found himself in after his sin had fully played out on the uh, theater of his life, used those circumstances to draw him back into a better relationship with his father. And so I think that's what you see with the idea. The print that's the, the general principle that you see with church discipline. There's a purpose for it. Um, but that's a that's a, a kind of a rabbit trail from the initial purpose I wanted to get on here for. I, I wanted to talk about the three marks of the church, and the reason why you can't have a church without each one of them. But with church discipline being such a controversial, oddly controversial topic nowadays, I thought it good to explain it. So the three marks of the church, uh, the right preaching of the word, the right administration of the ordinances, and by uh, ordinances as a Protestant, I mean the ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and then church discipline. All those three things, my contention is, and I think the contention, the historical consensus has been, that all three of these things must be present and active for a church to be considered a true church. Now, um, there can be a deficiency in one of those areas. Uh, you know, a church could be practicing all three of those things, but there could be a deficiency in one of those three areas or all of those three areas. And to the extent that they're deficient, the church could be considered unhealthy, uh, but nevertheless a true church. However, if there's a church or a proclaimed church, a professing church, that totally just just does not practice one of those three or, or two of those three, um, or some of them, even all of those three, they cannot be a church. They cannot be considered a church. And, and here's why. Because the bride of Christ is defined 
Um, and I, I think that even if you start as simple as that, if it is true that the bride of Christ is defined, what you end up having is, uh, is the right behavior of the church, the bride. What is the bride? What does the bride do? You start asking these kinds of questions. If the bride indeed has a definition, you get answers to these questions. And so the bride is defined. The church is defined in scripture. It's defined as the place where scripture is preached. We have uh, Paul telling us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is profitable and uh, all, all, all uh, God-breathed words are, are profitable uh, for teaching, for reproof, for, uh, for um, uh, correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So we know that there uh, is a function for the word of God within the church. Um, we know uh, that the command in various epistles to read the epistles to one another and to have them read is a command. Uh, elders, the qualifications for elders in, uh, I believe, uh, let me see here. Um, the qualifications within the qualifications of elders, there is a, uh, a a requirement for the elder to be able to teach. Uh, if an elder can't teach, and by that we could also mean preach, then an elder is not qualified to be an elder. Um, so all of these things happen within the church, and and what that assumes is is that there is a right exposition or explanation of the word of God going on in the church. <clears throat> Then you have the command of baptism. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 21 is probably the most popular place where Jesus gives a great commission. Uh, but we could also talk about uh, baptism is just largely assumed through the New Testament. Uh, Paul explains what baptism is in the beginning of Romans. It's a symbol of our union with Christ, an application of the benefits of uh, Christ to his people. Um it is, uh, according to the Baptist Catechism, an effectual means of our salvation. So all of these things, um, all of these things matter when it comes to the church. All of these things define what the church is. And so you have the Lord's Supper, for example. Even Jesus says, whoever does not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood has no part with me. Um, and so in John 6, for example. Um, and so then you have him instituting the Lord's Supper um, in, uh, in the upper room, and then Paul seconding that institution in 1 Corinthians 11, where he gives the instructions for uh, the Lord's table. So you have all of these things positively ordained to be practiced within the local church. Um, and that's significant. That's important to consider. Uh, and then church discipline, obviously. We just went over one passage out of many concerning what what we do with 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 members of our churches that are in unrepentant sin um, and and uh, what what happens in that case and so these three things must be practiced and and not just because they're biblical but because they logically interlock with one another so if you have, the right preaching of the word you preach on the bat you preach on baptism and the lord's supper and church discipline right so if you if you have the right preaching of the word then you preach on those things if you rightly administer the ordinances 
um, then you administer them according to the word of God, which means that your your basis for the ordinances in the first place, which we could say are the are the gospel visibly preached, is rooted in the word of God. And then if you're practicing the 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 ordinances correctly, rightly, then you will fence the table. And in the event of church discipline, in the event of caring for the flock and caring for even those members who are in unrepentant sin, you fence the table. You will not allow uh, someone who is being disciplined to partake of the Lord's Supper in care of their souls. Because Paul says that if anyone takes of this of the uh, of the table, uh, yet does so in an unworthy manner, he will be he will be drinking judgment unto himself, essentially. And so, if a pastor is doing his job, uh, if Hebrews is true, where it says that, uh, you know, overseers keep watch over your souls, uh, obey, obey your leaders for they are keeping watch over your souls, then it is true that they must discipline or prevent people from taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, which entails church discipline. And so they're biblical, but they also logically flow with one another. And so if you don't have all three of them, you can't have you can't have a church. You don't have a constituted church. Now let's say there's a a body of believers that says, well, we have uh, the preaching of the word, but we don't we don't baptize, we don't practice the Lord's Supper, and we don't do church discipline. Well then. What's, what's the difference then uh, between that gathering of believers and just any gathering of believers on uh, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, uh, you know, in a park or from the evangelist that's heralding the word of God and there happens to be two Christians near? Uh, what's the difference between that, right? That's not a church. That's a group of believers at best. Um, if you have... Uh, someone who says, "Well, we, we, we have the preaching of the word, and we, we, we do baptism, but we don't do the Lord's Supper so much, and we don't do church discipline really," uh, which is actually a lot of churches. That's common. They they have the preaching of the word, and they uh, baptize, but they seldom uh, practice the Lord's or take of the Lord's Supper, and they don't do church discipline. Uh, that's actually a real scenario. Uh, but they're, they're calling themselves a true church. But the reason they can't be a true church is because they're not doing the things the church is commanded to be doing. Um, and so you run into all sorts of problems when you want to say, well, uh, a church can be a true church without these three marks. Um, and I think you run into issues uh, when you... When you you essentially have to say the bride of Christ has real no definition, um, and if you ask the question, "How is how is the bride defined?" then you you run into uh, distinguishing characteristics, uh, which the Bible gives in order to define the church, and those are three of them. Maybe there are more. Uh, maybe there are those three could be exposited uh, more broadly uh, or in more detail. But those three have to be there foundationally in order order for there to be the, a true church. They can be they can be admit, they can be done wrongly or you know uh, incorrectly and there thereby cause an unhealthy church to exist. Uh, 
Um, but they have to be there in order for a true church to exist at all. And so that's what I want to talk talk to you guys about tonight. Um, and that that's that's pretty much it. I uh, I I have nothing else to say. And part of the beauty of the Good Spell podcast is that I can jump on here and talk about what comes to my mind, and hopefully it edifies you guys uh, in God's providence. And uh, be praying for this podcast. Be praying for uh, the, the content that I put out on it. And if you have any recommendations, please feel free to leave me a con- comment. Send me an email. Uh, go on reformbaptist.com. Go to contact. You can send us emails through there. Uh, or hit us up on Facebook. So God bless you guys. Have a good night. for voices but it's the choices that make us who we are go your own way even seasons have changed just burn those new leaves over so self-absorbed you seem to ignore